Welcome back to Sustaining Craft, the podcast all about the stories of those in a creative field or industry. Welcome back to Sustaining Craft. I'm Elizabeth Silverstein, and I have with me today Diane Harper, who is a fine artist in the Little Rock area. Diane, what do you specialize in? Well, right now, the work that I'm doing is I'm a visual artist, and I do these things that people affectionately call my ink blots. Hmm. And uh, it's basically uh, using water media on paper and then finding intriguing shapes and uh, imagery inside the ink blots using line work like marker, pen, that kind of thing. Oh, wonderful. So what are you kind of looking for? Is it Does it tend to be one thing already? Do you look for animals? Is it um, plants, people? No, it just, I let the, I do a whole bunch of um, ink blots first and then I let them dry. And then I look at the stack and decide which one I'm gonna work on. And I turn it upside down and sideways and just see if I, if something strikes me. Sometimes when I don't know what I'm looking at, I go ahead and start making marks and then something emerges. It's really, really spontaneous. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can be kind of whimsical what comes up. Sometimes it's just merely abstraction for abstract sake. And then sometimes they could be critters or monsters or something. Mm. Yeah. And that's actually one of the reasons why I wanted to interview you because your name came up when I was talking with some the staff at the Arkansas Arts Council. Mm -hmm. And I looked at your profile and one of the things that popped out to me was that sometimes the terrifying, the fantastical. Yes. And that really um, captured my attention Mm -hmm. um, because monsters are everywhere. They're all around us. And if we can learn what they look like, because they're not always ugly or crazy, but always damaging, right? But we can embrace them sometimes. Right, right. What was that process for you to really want to embrace the terrifying and the monsters and bring those out? Well, you know, I I grew up, um, I was a sick kid a lot. And I grew up overseas in the military, you know, living as a really young, you know, just past toddler. Uh, age in Berlin when the Berlin Wall was up and things were pretty heated for the Cold War at the time and I think my boogeyman was born in Berlin Mm -hmm. everything had barbed wire there were armed guards everywhere and so it was just kind of a terrifying place through a five-year-old's eyes but you don't really have the vocabulary to deal with that and then to be a sick kid in a military hospital with mostly adults around you not a children's hospital it's kind of an unfriendly place and there were noises at night and things like that so and my father was a police officer so I knew there was danger and you know boogeyman out there but I didn't have a vocabulary for it so even as an adult I have a hard time coming up with that vocabulary mm-hmm. but I don't have a hard time coming up with a visual vocabulary to describe it mm-hmm. and by doing them in allowing them to come to the surface from my subconscious it kind of allows me to embrace them in a different way as an adult and kind of be playful with them and you know be grateful that i had such a vivid imagination from the way we lived and grew up you know i mean i lived in the heart 
of fairy tales. You know, we traveled in Bavaria and the Black Forest was around there and the birthplace of Hansel and Gretel and all of these kinds of bizarre folk tales that we grew up with, which were basically cautionary tales to children to mind their moms. But, um, you know, it was it was kind of a a wonderful place. There were castles everywhere and ruins and, you know, horrible things too, like Holocaust museums, Mm -hmm. things I couldn't really understand. But um, it, it fostered this imagination. And as an adult, I've tried to reconcile that for myself. And this is one way that has stuck for me, allowing whatever imagery is tucked away in my mind to come out and play. Mm-hmm. And I can play with it and befriend all those monsters. And that's kind of the way I see it. It's really whimsical at the same time. There's a real edge to it. Mm-hmm. And the monsters are scariest in the dark, right? Yeah. So art allows kind of a spotlight to mm-hmm. kind of bring them out. And it sure does. Kind of, when you see it, because that's the whole thing mm-hmm. of like horror films, right? It's the scariest is when you can't see it. You don't know. Oh, yeah. Coming. That time just before he jumps mm-hmm. out, which mm-hmm. you build up all this tension. Yeah. 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 And so sometimes it's like that with my work. I go through it and I'm like, I don't know what this is going to be. Uh, nothing's coming to me. And then all of a sudden something appears mm-hmm. and I play with it some more. And I'm like, oh wow, look at that, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's what yeah. that's what I try to encourage any student that I ever have to do as well is to just play and let it see what happens. Mm-hmm. And I love I love playing in plain sight with my monsters. Yeah, it's a great way to do it. I love that. So yeah, it's pretty cool. So you kind of had this unconventional childhood mm-hmm. um, overseas, right? Where is your, um, are your parent? where are your parents from? My dad was uh, from the States. He was born in California. Okay. And my mom was born in France. And oh. she was a child during the World War II mm. on the German border in Strasbourg. Wow. So she told us stories about growing up with bombs and being liberated by the American soldiers and getting her first chewing gum oh. from an American and then later marrying American Marine mm-hmm. in Luxembourg. So... You know, I grew up with lots of stories like that, and we were fortunate to be over eight years in Europe, and my grandparents were there, and they were spoiling and wonderful, and so although it was an unconventional childhood, it was very loving and close-knit, but we saw a lot of things that normal children don't necessarily see that don't travel to different cultures and hear different stories. Yeah, it opens up the world a little bit. It did. Yeah, you can say, oh, well, this is Mm -hmm. weird. Is this unusual? Is this bad? Yeah. You process that. Right. And then, you know, so the the whole idea of being a military brat has been a part of my identity for so long. I mean, my dad was career. I I didn't get out. Well, we didn't get out of the military until I was a senior in high school. So it was my life. And um, reintegrating, you know, into the civilian world was not so easy. Uh, for any one of us. But a lot of what I do now, I have a side project that I do that I call my life's work, that I call my brat project. And it's all about the photos my dad took of us growing up overseas. And he was a forensics photographer Mm -hmm. with the military crime lab and then the state of Arkansas crime lab. So I have, you know, a lot of his notes from the FBI Academy and I have bizarre pictures that might go along with that kind of world. And then how he saw us through his lens as a father photographer. And so I kind of been exposed to that my whole life, to to composition and 
you know, um, contrast, a lot of art things that I just had an innate ability for. So my, my late in life goal is to do a posthumous collaboration with my father's work mm -hmm. and uh, feature his photography and my work using his imagery and manipulating it to where I want it to go mm -hmm. so that we can work on projects together and I can feel close to him. And yeah, yeah it's just kind of a lifelong project using that imagery that he had for years and years. And um, did you have siblings? You, there was a few. I have two brothers, uh, one older brother and a younger brother. My younger brother was born in Berlin. Okay. And uh, he, uh, he's the only one that served any time in the military himself. So, gotcha. yeah. And so this, this project you want to do yeah. with your father's work, you obviously had a close relationship with him. Yes. Yeah. What are some of the memories you had watching him work? and? Well, I, I know that he taught himself how to be a photographer. And because he wanted, you know, he went to MP school and then he wanted to be in forensics, but he taught himself on the various posts we were at. He used their dark rooms. But then he would come home and he would have all of us kids sit on the couch and hold flashcards that had um, shutter speed, film speed, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. whatever kind of film he was using. And he'd set up lights. And we were his test subjects and he would study photography through his portraits of us. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I just remember him always being there with his camera. And he saw us in a way that the portraits that he took of us were not, they don't look like Olin Mills portraits. They look like a dad would have taken them that had some skill, but he found our personalities in those pictures. And there's a whole series of black and white ones that he did um, that are particularly important to me. And I've done some uh, linoleum cuts from those yeah. and printed those. And they look almost Andy Warhol-ish in the backgrounds I use. But mm -hmm. yeah, that's kind of what got me going was those photographs. They've been a part of my life, you know, for as long as I can remember. Yeah. And I miss him terribly. And, you know, we were a close-knit family, so it's my way of staying close, I guess. And right before he died, he told me that he was leaving me the biggest job in the family, and that was to archive all his photographs. And we were alone in the room in the hospital when he, right when he was getting on hospice and told me that that's what I needed to do. And uh, I was like, what? Because I'm talking 10,000s of negatives and thousands of photographs and I don't know how many slides, just unbelievable amounts. That's why you call this your life's work. It is a life's work, it's yeah. It's going to take some time. <laughs> yeah, he died in 2005, oh. no, 2006, okay. mm -hmm. and um, I really didn't start working on them till after my mother died in 2010, okay. um, and they both died from cancer, which is a whole nother layer, but we took care of them both on hospice, and, um, and I think part of me doing this work now is also about dealing with grief and loss over the two most important people in my life. Wow. So, yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a love project really. Yeah, with a lot of layers. That's yeah, there's a lot of there. layers. Yeah. The military layer was having an authoritarian grandparent, mm -hmm. which is they weren't my grandparents, but the military acted like a grandparent and told us where to go, mm -hmm. or more like a parent, really. Yeah. Um, told us where to go, what to do, how to live. So there's that layer and there's the family relationship layer, then there's you know, the, what was going on in the world at large back then in the 60s and 70s. And, uh, 
you know, the Cold War, of course. Vietnam was in there. Mm -hmm. There was a lot going on. Yeah. So it was a interesting time to be growing up. It sounds like it. Yeah. And was you mentioned he worked in Arkansas too. Is that how he you ended did. up in Arkansas? Yeah. Okay. So he retired from the military and one of his buddies from the crime lab was the fingerprint guy here in Little Rock in the state of Arkansas. So he apparently convinced I guess he had to talk to then Governor Bill Clinton or somebody had to go to Bill Clinton to say we need a photographer. Oh wow. And they were about to build the new building mm -hmm. out on Natural Resources Drive. So they uh, they said, well, who do you know? And he said, I know the best. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, my dad's name, Hal Page. And they called my dad down to interview. At the time, he was looking for police officer jobs and places like Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and uh, Pasadena, California, and places like that. We looked at Tampa. Okay. And then, but when his old army buddy, you know, said, hey, come to Arkansas, my dad was very excited about it. Yeah. And he got a chance to, to help plan and build their their first build, great building that they had. Um, they were housed in some apartments behind the state capitol, okay. rundown apartments. And I think my dad's dark room was in a bathroom. Oh. Yeah, it was, it was really not so great. <laughs> and they were still, before he got here, they were... From the rumors I heard, they were still using Polaroid cameras, so oh. that all changed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And were you still in school, in high school? I was a high school senior. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that was really traumatic. Mm -hmm. But we were going to, uh, we were faced with being um, stationed in Japan, and my older brother was already in college, and my mother, being a French woman, wasn't interested in going um, to Japan. She just was not excited about that at all. She would feel really lost, she said, but it was just time to retire and he had 25 years in by then. So, yeah, so, so we did. In the middle of the country. I know. <laughs> and then it was a shocker. Yeah. And then we moved to Jacksonville because we didn't know anything to do except be by a base. Mm -hmm. And that was the base. Mm -hmm. Even though my dad worked in Little Rock, we thought we need to be by the base. Okay. And then 20 years at that point. Yeah. We've been living on a base. 20 Five, yeah. years. Okay, yeah. so that's a long time to kind of break away from what you've known for so right. long. a quarter of a century. <laughs> right, right. Oh, yeah. So we came to Little Rock after living in Jacksonville for a while and mm -hmm. got closer. And then by that time, I was off in Fayetteville. So and is that where you went to college? I did. Okay, and mm -hmm. when did you get your degree in that? Because there's some layers to your story too. Yes. A lot going so on. So I got my undergraduate degree. I changed majors so many times because I didn't know what to do. I had thought about art, but decided no, I couldn't. Re I didn't know how to make a living doing that. Mm -hmm. So I went to, uh, which I think is a shame that I didn't just go straight into art. But I went into social work eventually. Found my way in social work, um, and then uh, became a social worker after that. And then went to got married, and then went to graduate school for social work. What was the draw for you to social work? I well, I loved social justice work. And I loved working with people. I had visited the developmental center, the Conway Developmental Center, okay. or Development Center, when I was a senior and decided I wanted to take care of um, folks that needed additional help with mental health concerns or uh, developmental concerns. So it just I was interested in psychology and all of that. And social work borrowed from so many fields, it was the most interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, it had that social justice component. And I just enjoyed that. 
And there's yeah. no, I mean, being an artist can be a very isolating field. Right. But there's very, um, there, it's very much connected to people. Um, there's mm-hmm. there's that, and we, we talked about that briefly before. Right. So talk a little bit about how you maintained art through your social work career. I, you know, I, I was always creative, and I think social workers have to be creative problem solvers. Yeah. But I didn't do a whole lot of art it, itself. I mean, I did crafts, and I was always making stuff for the house, decorating or doing things like that. But I think I got a lot of creative uh, juices going by just being creative with my thinking. So I was kind of a little bit different in thinking outside the box, and I could always brainstorm better than some. And I always was able to um, come up with some creative ideas in, in um, hooking people up with resources. And I always thought that was because of the military taught you flexibility and adaptability, but it was also that creative bug I had in me, hmm. you know, that, that did that. So I did well in social work because I, I would look outside the box or come up with creative analogies or metaphors or stories. So, you know, I've always been interested in narrative things like tales you know, so fairy tales was not an unusual jump for me later in life yeah. with art. Um, but I think, yeah, I think that's why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that'll come up recently for me this week too. Is not everyone can understand the science behind something, right? Especially if it's like a higher level, but everyone can understand a story. You can yeah. understand. You can understand how monsters work through a story or certain right. types of monsters. Right. You can understand maybe the fairy tales were about, you know, you have to listen to your parents. But there are other there are other monsters out there that we mm-hmm. need to understand and need to learn how to navigate and mm-hmm. need to get the tools for that. Or, you know, there's so much that goes into it. Everyone everyone gets a story. Right. And you know, in social work there's a thing called teaching social work and the art of social work. Mm-hmm. And I'm married to a social worker and I see this in him. But, you know, uh, they teach us critical thinking skills in social work school. And they teach the same thing in art school. Basically how to take apart your work and figure out what you need to do. And every mark you make creates a problem to be solved because then you have to decide where the next mark is going. So it's kind of the same way in a therapy session with a client or in what I do now is medical social work, it's the same thing. I have to try to, you know, figure out how to put together a Cadillac problem with Chevy parts or something. Not that I have anything against Chevy, Mm -hmm. but just, you know, you have, you don't have very many resources for people anymore. And it's hard to kind of make sure that they have a successful life outside the hospital once you discharge them. So that's my job is to come up with ways to solve problems while they're there in the hospital. And it's the same thing with my art. I'm solving a problem from when I look at that ink blot to where I make my next mark and marks after that. It's very similar. Mm-hmm. I think um, a lot of social issues come out of wanting to cram everybody into the same peg, right? Like if yeah, the, yeah, this yeah. person looks like this, this means they do that, right? Yeah. They always do that. Right. Or if this person comes from this background, that means they're over there and they're always right. over there. But human beings are a lot more complex than that. Mm-hmm. And that's why I've always felt the arts is such a crucial aspect to education, mm-hmm. whether um, you're just very young at home, you know, or at daycare and you're just coloring or you're playing or as you go up through. And I've always seen that arts is the first thing to be cut 
instead. It is. Um, but it is so crucial for the things that you just mentioned, that problem solving, that dissecting, that really trying mm-hmm. to understand and ask questions, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that's who we are as people. We need to understand someone's story and where they're coming right. from right. in a compassionate way and set aside mm-hmm. our own preconceived notions, because mm-hmm. we all have them no matter where we're from, Mm because we were all raised a certain way and we have a certain education and everything. So how do we kind of look at someone as a whole with problems, because we all Mm -hmm. have problems, Mm -hmm. and how do we start to solve that? And I think that's where the arts kind of steps in Mm -hmm. and goes, hey, (laughs) over here. Yeah. If you can't access something verbally Mm -hmm. and you can't really think of it and all the talk therapy in the world doesn't work for you for that particular problem, just drawing it out or making a mess with paint or moving paint around or opening up a different window sometimes helps bring the light in. Yeah, dancing. It really does. Music. Yeah, yeah, all of that. Because it's a, um, it's, it's, I always compare it, the best way I could describe the creative process or arts is that it's a reflection of your soul and it's deep inside. Um, and that's why it can be a struggle for people to share their art or mm-hmm. to kind of expose it because we need people to engage with it if we want to right. make a living at it. Yeah. But it is so close and deep inside. Mm-hmm. And you have this extra layer of your father's memory and your mm-hmm. father's work, which is another thing that you have to protect, right? You have to yeah, preserve Yeah, very much so. Well, and it's... I just I love your story so much too because there, there are so many layers and, I, and we can keep dissecting. And I would love to talk about... Um, how you went from social work to become the artist that you are today. Uh, you mentioned your father went to school a little bit later in life. He did. Okay. When, um, well, it took him 17 years okay. to get a degree, and he, mm-hmm. he went to the University of Maryland, which is a lot of what soldiers do mm-hmm. because it's they have campuses all over the world, and, and they work a lot with the military. So he did classes here and there for 17 years. Wow. And then finally when he settled in Arkansas after the military, he was able to go back to school, I'm sure on the GI Bill, I believe. And so at 50, he graduated with his degree in criminal justice, okay. or criminology, I don't remember the exact title. But he wanted to be an art major, but he was still working at the crime lab, and they needed him to kind of keep it close to home, mm-hmm. so to speak, if they were paying, you know, if they were allowing him to be off, you know, away from work during that time to finish his degree and then come back to work and make up his time. But they wanted it to be value added to what he was doing at the time. So he got a minor in art. So we had some of the same teachers when I went back. Oh, wow. And when did, um, sorry, your dad's name? Hal Page. Hal Page. Yeah. And then, um, so you saw him over 17 years working towards his degree. How old were you when you went back for your degree? Because you got a BFA. I, yeah, I did. I get, well, I got a BA. They didn't okay, have the yeah. BFA okay. program when I started, but um, I went back in 2002 okay. and it took me 11 years and I was almost 51. So uh, my goal was to get that degree at the same age he got his degree. Because mm-hmm. I thought, you know, I might as well do it. I'm going to be 50 someday or 60 someday without the degree. I might as well be 50 with it. So that's what kind of motivated me to go back was, I'm not too old, look at my dad. You know, and he inspired a lot of people to go back to school. Yeah. Because it was so much older. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was, it was really inspiring. I thought, well, you're not too old. Mm-hmm. This is, um, yeah, someone was saying today, like a 30 year life is half over. And I was like, whoa, wait a second. No that's way. Not, that's maybe a third. But if there, if you have your life, if you're still living, mm-hmm. you know, and there's something you really want to do, why, why not try? Mm-hmm. Like, why, why live with the regret 
of never having tried. Right. So I was inspired by him being 50 and getting a degree, which I thought at the time was so old. Now I think that's young. So uh, because I'm on the other side of 50, well over. And, and I'm like, well, you know, when I turn 60, I can go back to school and get my MFA. Absolutely. So that's kind of what's in my head now. I've only got about four years to go, and I may just go back. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. But the, the point is, is that I can. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that's what I realized, too, was that I remember sitting in uh, the chairman of the art department. His name was Wynne Brule. I remember sitting in his office saying, you know, before I started, and I said, you know, I used to worry that I wasn't good enough to go to art school. I said, but now I don't care. I just have to do it. Mm. And he was like, well, come on. You know, he was really um, optimistic and and really uh, embracing the fact that I wanted to go back as an older student. And then when I got in, there were a lot of people in my shoes. So it was really fun. And I started building a whole art community from that. That's wonderful. And you, you've done a couple of things since then. So what was the process for you? You have this degree. Mm-hmm. Um, now you have three, three degrees under your belt. I do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so what did you start to do once you earned your degree? How did you start to build your career as an artist? Wow. So I had to go part-time to school so I could continue to work part-time. So I worked part-time, which gave me a little bit of time to be an artist. And there was some full-time work in between when I didn't get a lot of work done. Um, but I decided I would, I would go part-time and kind of focus on making artwork. And the biggest thing was getting with a group of people that was also doing that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was working in art. So I have some best friends that are artists and that's all they do. Um, and I surrounded myself with a lot of creative people. Um, I took business of art workshops and one in particular, Artist Inc., which was a you know really hardcore um, program that the Argenta Arts Foundation brought to town. So I took that. When did you take that? Um, I took that in 2015, I think. I was okay. class of 15. And it's um, they only accept a certain amount of spots for that program. There's right? only 25 spots okay. usually. And right now we're, ha- we're in our... I became a facilitator for that after that. What does that mean to be? Um, that means that I'm one of the peer facilitators and the group leaders in the in the next class. Okay, so you're so, mentoring. So yeah, yeah, so I'm kind of like a, a artist mentor type gotcha. person, and we follow this prescribed uh, program through the Mid America Arts Alliance, okay. they, and and through the Argenta Arts Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kansas City kind of helps us out. So it's this underwritten program that is fantastic so I learned all about uh, res you know keeping your art resume approaching galleries how to get grants you know they teach you about copyright laws and financial situations and business structures things like that Um, do I make a living you know could I support myself completely with my artwork no not right now I think that takes a lot of time and and having what I learned through that business those business courses was to have varying um, income strategies, mm. you know. So what, what are those? Like, well, okay. like I have the social work that I do that pays the bills, and I have my husband is my patron also, so mm-hmm. he helps because he's still working. And then I have uh, the gig with Argenta Arts Foundation through Artist Inc., okay. so I get paid for that. And then I have uh, a gallery practice, so I get paid out of that. Mm-hmm. 
I have a booth. I get paid from there. I sell individually. I can get paid there. I do mm -hmm. workshops, yeah. get paid there. Um, and I was teaching adjunct at Henderson State University, so I got paid for that. Mm -hmm. So just having various streams of income helps shore you up when something else is not going so well. So how so. could someone find some of those? So how did you find some of those? Was it networking? Was networking. It okay, just like getting out, making friends, mm -hmm. talking, yeah. talking about it. Right. right. Okay. And showing your work. Mm -hmm. um, my friend Robert Bean and I, uh, if we need an opportunity to show our work, we will make one. We'll do a pop-up show or we will approach a gallery and say, we have this idea, we'd like to have a show, would you be interested? And we got, uh, we've gotten several shows that way. Mm -hmm. uh, just by asking. I mean, it doesn't, if you don't ask, you're never said yes, but you're never said no. And a lot yeah. of people are afraid of no. Yeah. But if you don't ask, you never get a yes either. Yeah. So. And it's like sales, right? It's the rule of averages. Um, right. Keep asking, and then maybe there's a lot of no's, but all you need is that one yes to there get you, you go. going. You there know? you go. And that'll get you through the rest of the no's until you get another yes. There you go. Yeah. I know, and and I'm not as good at asking as Robert is, and I'll send him on that errand often, <laughs> but I'll do it myself too. So we uh, we're a good team. So finding a core group of artists that you hang out with um, that you can talk to when things are tough or when things are great. You know, then you have people that come to your shows and support you, and that's been a huge thing for me is just having a network. I couldn't have done it any other way. And then you get your name out there, and then people like the Arts Council say, hey, you should interview her. Yeah. She's kind of interesting, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so people know your name, yep. and that's what it's all about. Plus, I'm very outgoing which helps mm -hmm. and I do a lot of demos for art outfitters and I shop there all the time and I'm I do classes so I get my name out there you know so people can think if they think I don't know very many artists oh I know one yeah. I'll ask her and if maybe she's not a good fit maybe she knows someone who is exactly a good fit. I have sold work for my friends that way yeah, yeah, yeah so you just talked about like a very real-world application of problem-solving yes. like, yes okay I need to do this how do yes. I get there? What's my goal? Right. Um, and I love that um, it was Artist Inc. Or, oh, yes. yeah. They they are teaching that. They're like, what are you? Oh. This is the framework. Yes. Right? So if you want to do this, then you have to start over here. Mm -hmm. Or if you want to do that, you have to try this. And Right. I mean, the best, the best real world example is if you know you want to go travel somewhere, you can't just tell Google, you know, Siri, get me somewhere. You have mm. to know where you're going ah, in yeah. order to know how to get there. So yep. you have to tell the, you know, Google Maps where you're going. Mm -hmm. And then you got to make decisions like, am I going to fly there? Am I going to drive there? Am I going to walk there, bike there? Yeah. Public transportation. Yep. Am I going to go highways or city? You know, you have to know kind of how you're going to get there and make decisions along the way. And then you arrive at your destination. It's like goal setting. Yeah. And the other, the flip side of that too is kind of like, well, I'm not sure, but I know I want to be in nature. So let me just get go. out in nature and like yeah. meander. And maybe you find something very beautiful, but maybe you get lost and you're stuck on a mountain for a couple of days, you know? So you kind yeah. of have to think about kind of the risks and the rewards right. too. You know, there's a lot that goes into it, but you kind of have to know like, yes, I'm going on a journey 
because this is what I love and I would like to get here. Let's mm-hmm. see what happens along the way. Sometimes your flight gets canceled. Sometimes your car breaks exactly. Down, you know, I love, but I love that analogy. And then what do you do with those detours? Yeah, they're opportunities. Do you get angry? Do you get frustrated? Mm-hmm. Or do you think maybe I need to bike instead of drive? Mm-hmm. Maybe I need to um, not get on a plane right now. But that doesn't mean you never get on a plane again. You know. Yeah, and one of the things I really love about what I'm doing right now with the ink work is that it's this kind of perfect blend of control and no control. Mm. Because I have control in choosing my palette and all of that, but I don't have control over what the ink's going to do with the water. Mm. I kind of have an idea because I've done it so much, but I don't know what's going to come out of those, and I don't know what I'm going to see. So I have this kind of spontaneity and immediacy that happens, and I can be real expressive with that. And then I can kind of hone it in and develop it. And that's what I love about the ink work that I do. It just, it lends itself to letting go and pulling in. Mm. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's just like me. It's a contradiction sometimes. <laughs> Aren't we <But>. all? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I like to encourage other people to allow the contradiction and to work with it. Because mm-hmm. they're, they can be really tight when they try to work. Mm-hmm. And I try to get them to loosen up and just don't care about it for a mm. while. Then you can come back in and care about it later, but you yeah. gotta let it go. Is there, um, do you see that's the result of, of some fears that people have? Oh yeah. They're afraid it's not yeah. gonna turn out the way they want, they're not any yeah. good at it. That's That's been so something so interesting to me as an adult um, because we kind of have this expectation if I'm gonna try something, I gotta be good at it right away. Yeah. Were you good at walking right away? Heck no. <laughs> Were you good at feeding yourself right away? <laughs> it's all a process and I, I know I thought when I became an adult, like I was gonna have it all figured out and I was gonna right. arrive somewhere. And then I realized we're all figuring it out. We're all trying. We're all kind of moving Absolutely. on this journey. Like maybe we get to a destination, but then you're, you mm-hmm. start on the next thing after that. Like life life is a story of um, escalation and de-escalation and escalation and de-escalation constantly. And what I try to encourage people now is that, all right, maybe you're not good at it or it makes you uncomfortable, but if it's not hurting you, you know, then maybe you need to push yourself to do it and kind of get out of your comfort zone and because mm-hmm. you're going to get better at it. Like, right. You, if you have a habit, you're going to, it's, you're not going to stay bad at it. Not that mm-hmm. you were necessarily bad. Art doesn't really have a bad and good all the mm-hmm. time. There's technical things. Yeah. There's but, skill sets yeah. that certain people have that I don't. And mm-hmm. there's things that I do that they don't. And yeah, but I still do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, I think there's so much that you can gain from practicing and, and mm-hmm. learning new things. It's absolutely gracious person. But, absolutely. So you have all these projects going on. Right, I do. <laughs> um, what do you? What are some of your goals coming up? Do you have anything in immediate future? Do you have any pop-ups? What's coming up for you? Oh my, September is just the most crammed month ever. Mm-hmm. I'm glad we're meeting in September because I'm really, uh, my brain is at the is so heightened right now with this creativity stuff. But um, uh, I've got Art on the Creeks coming up uh, in Rogers, Arkansas, where I'm going to be sponsored by a business up there Velasis Digital is sponsoring me up there for a tent okay. with this that? juried show oh, awesome. it's a f- art festival um, on September 29th okay. in okay. Rogers Arkansas so okay. I'm gonna do that and my friend Robert's gonna be up there too and so I'm kind of preparing for that right now and then I kind of work in compartments so my next thing after that is I've got to make a bunch of work for a fiber arts show that Rachel Trusty is um, curating with some fiber artists. Mm-hmm. 
and that's coming up in November, I believe. Um, the Gallery 26 Christmas show is, is, or not Christmas, but holiday show. We usually deliver that in November, so I'll have some stuff in that. Okay. The Art Center show and sale is in November, right before Thanksgiving. So I've got to get ready for that. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot going on. And I'm sure I'm missing something I'm, <laughs> because my, my, my calendar is here, but I'm not looking at it. So <laughs> I know that I have a whole bunch of stuff in between. Yeah. So. And what are some of your goals kind of for the future? What are you looking to do? Well, I'm, uh, I, have a, I have a workshop in my studio this weekend from a, a photography instructor over at uh, Henderson State University, Margot Duval. She's going to do image transfers this weekend, and it sold out in one day, wow. the workshop. So we added another one for next weekend, sold out in two days. Whoa. Yeah, so we're done yeah. on that one. <laughs> we'll do it another time. Yeah. But we've got two weekends in a row of a workshop in my studio. So mm -hmm. I really want my studio to be a place of learning and fun and creativity. And I'm trying to come up with some ideas for that. Yeah. Um, and I want to keep teaching. I've got a color workshop at the Arkansas Arts Center in October. That's one I forgot. Mm -hmm. So my goals are is to, you know, do the best I can with each one of these shows going, coming up. I've got a show in May I'll be planning for in January. Um, in the meantime, I've, I really want to stay connected with my friends, go to their art openings, see what's happening tonight, as a matter of fact, mm -hmm. um, see what's happening, continue to learn new skills. I'm taking a water media portrait class at the Art Center with Michael Schaefer, so that's gonna be fun, fun, fun. Mm -hmm. Hone my skills, teach, have my workshop available for other teachers and students, make work, uh, help the people at the hospital, mm -hmm. and uh, that's, you know, try to be a good partner to my husband mm -hmm. uh, in the meantime, and just keep being uh, wake up with a sense of purpose every morning. That's my big thing is I always wake up with a sense of purpose. Um, is that something you, you think purposely about? Is it is it a concrete idea or you're just like, I'm going to do something today? Some days I say I'm not doing anything today and that's my purpose. Mm -hmm. But but I, I don't ever, one of the things about being a social worker that I realized was different mm -hmm. for a lot than, than a lot of other careers is that I have never in my adult life had a day where I didn't know if I had a sense of purpose in life, you know, and that's really freeing existentially because I don't have to worry about that. Yeah. So now I feel like I can pursue art with a hedonistic fervor if I feel like it, because I've really, really been doing the hard work with people all these years and, and it feels good. And now if I, if I'm, you know, let's say in the future, if I'm not working in social work, I'm still working with people because I'm still going to have contact creatively with them. Mm -hmm. And then I think I'll just shift focus to my purpose will be to spread creativity to people and, and help. And I don't even have to spread it because they've already got it. Mm -hmm. It's just to help unlock it in other people. Yeah. So that'll be my new purpose <laughs> when that's all I'm doing. Yeah. There are some days when I just have to turn it all off and, and watch streaming Netflix and Hulu and yeah. eat popsicles. Yeah. Or popcorn, you know, that's what Decompress. I do. Yeah. yeah, I love it. I love yeah. doing that. Mm -hmm. And I do that with just as much um, passion as I do working. So, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I feel like I have a pretty balanced life, but only a couple of speeds. Mm -hmm. right. So, that's you know. Not a wrong, there's no wrong way to do life <laughs> unless you're not trying to live at all, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I, and yeah. once I, you know, I really had some conflicts 
not knowing how to combine social work with art mm -hmm. and not knowing how I could be two different people. And I think this is the year that I figured it out that I'm not two different people, that they work together mm -hmm. and I don't have to separate them. And I don't have to be embarrassed that I'm using all my family photographs and I keep you know, circulating through these photos of a time period. I don't have to worry about that. I used to think I had to, that that wasn't original enough or, you know, people didn't care about that. And now I'm like, oh, I care about that. So yeah. what are they that's what yeah. I got to do. Yeah. You're trying so. to make everybody um, care, make everybody's opinion matter in your life, then you're just yeah. not going to live your own life, right? Yeah. Like and I've been a people pleaser my whole life. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's tough when you're, you're so worried about what they think that you forget right. about what, what you think matters. Right, and I want to help people find that. Yeah, yeah, and it looks yeah. different for everybody. Your journey isn't my journey or someone else's journey. Right. It's your journey, and I think that's what makes it so beautiful and unique right. and special. No one else is going to live your life like you. That's what I love about writing, too, is I, um, I used to throw out prompts to people, and I was like, here's the first sentence of a story. How does it end? Not one person gave me an ending that was like someone else's story. Not I bet. Once. And if, um, if I wrote, if I gave a prompt of, like, the smell of soap, what someone came up with about the smell of soap would look completely different from what I was thinking in my head. You know, we're all such unique creatures and we have such a unique perspective that I think mm -hmm. art allows us the space to share that and be like, hey, this is who I am. And if people don't like it, art's a place where that doesn't matter, you know, because yeah, it's for you. Right, right. Yeah, writing and writing and art, it's all art. Mm -hmm. It's all it's all creativity. It's mm -hmm. most of what I learned about creativity that I that's really stuck with me came from Elizabeth Gilbert. Mm -hmm. Her TED Talks are amazing and her book. But just that whole idea of um, that creativity in you. You know, it doesn't come from outside. It's not something you have to chase. It's yeah. it's there. Yeah. It's just, she has just really good ideas about yeah. creativity and she's a writer. She's not a visual artist, but I connect with her on so many levels. Yeah. Well, that's why I want to do this series too, because mm -hmm. even though I am focused on writing, I used to draw it. I drew before I wrote. Um, and I oh. feel like the creative process is so similar to mm -hmm. it. The struggle is very similar there. I feel like um, creative people really connect. And I mm -hmm. think people that wouldn't call themselves creative have some sort of creative aspect inside of them, even right. if they deny it. It's like, well, do you like to interior design your house? Did you did you mm -hmm. choose the colors on your walls? Did you pick out the clothes you're wearing? That was right. you, right? Like that's an expression, yeah. you know. That's yeah. artistic. It's how creative. do you know your greens and not reds? Yeah. When you do your home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even picking out your dog can be an artist. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that's people, right. People choose animals and sometimes partners that look like you. You know, it's a, there's a familiarity there. It's, right. But it's still, it's um, it can be a very artistic choice and a creative choice um, in a lot of ways. So, that's cool. Yeah, there's more that goes into it than I think the people that are dismissive of it think sometimes. Yeah. Even food. You eat every day? <laughs> like, yeah. You eat food? Did you make it yourself? No? Okay. Well, still, um, food is can even be an expression of art. Um, mm -hmm. It can be, be very beautiful. There's so much that goes into it. Absolutely. Well, Diane, I think that was all of my questions. If people mm -hmm. want to find your art, where can we find you? You have a website. Yes, I do. That's kind of under construction, but it's okay. uh, DianeHarperArt.com. Okay. And mm -hmm. you're on Facebook. And I'm on Facebook, um, 
Diane Harper Art or Diane Page Harper. Okay. And then that's P A G E. And then I'm at Diane Harper Art on Instagram. Okay. Perfect. So and I have I have work at Gallery Twenty Six, and they know how to get in touch with me. They've been representing me for a long time. Okay. Um, and I have a booth at South Main Creative that has a lot of my ink work in there. Um, well, was there anything else you wanted to add before we start the sign-off? No, except that it would be fun to have you teach a class at my art lab. I'd love to. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, I'd love oh to Oh my that. goodness, you have to come see it. Yeah. Yeah, and I'd invite anyone to friend me on Facebook or, you know, send me a message. Yeah, and we can connect. Yeah, yeah I love That's that great. part. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks You're for letting welcome. me do this. Thanks for coming and thanks yeah. for sharing your story. I know it can be a little like not you know not knowing what to expect, but it's different. Yeah. It's yeah, great. kind of exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you. Well, this has been Sustaining Craft with Elizabeth Silverstein, my guest today, uh, Diane Harper. And this podcast would not be possible without the help of some friends. Audio editing by Joshua Kurtz, original artwork by Morgan Elaine of The Inkling Girl, and music by Jim Chiago of Nomad Neighbors. Catch them playing all around Denver on the weekends, most weekends. And then music under 7 Second Chance on iTunes and Spotify. Diane, before we sign off completely, do you have any advice for someone who's thinking about going to school a little bit later in life or pursuing an arts degree or tapping into that creative passion? I would say if it feels right to you at this point in your life, just do it regardless of how old you are or regardless of whether you think you're any good because that's their job is to teach you what to do and just do it. Seriously, when I signed up for my first class on the web, I felt in every cell of my being that it was the right thing. I just felt it. I just knew I had just done something very important for myself. And it's been that way ever since.